Our teaching comes from the 14th chapter of Romans today as we continue this study of this important letter in the New Testament written by one of the early Jesus followers named Paul. And in chapter 14, he writes these words, as for you, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything while the other person, weak person, thinks eats only vegetables. Let the one who eats not despise the one who abstains and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It's before his own master that he stands or falls and he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honors of the Lord since he gives thanks to God while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone. None of us dies to himself alone. For if we, die, if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? For you, why do you despise your brother? For we all will stand before the judgment seat of God. As it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. This is the word of the Lord. So I need you to step back once again and to think with me about this study of the book of Romans and please try to understand that Paul is drawing the initial boundaries for the establishment of a community of faith that represents this inbreaking of the kingdom of God, which is the world put right into first century Rome and into 21st century Oviedo. Back in chapters 1 through 11, Paul has explained the gospel, namely that we are justified by grace alone that comes to us through faith alone because of what Christ alone has done. And although we continue to struggle with sin, we are at the same time completely righteous and perfect in God's sight. And as we come to understand that, as we come to experience that more and more, the result is this life of grateful and joyous love for one another. So here we are in chapter 14. Paul is now going to apply all that he has been saying to this very specific case, to a problem that he had heard that the Roman congregation was having. It's as if Paul says, okay, now let me show you how all of this applies to this specific problem that you're having. And that problem is how are we going to deal 
internally within our fellowship of the followers of Jesus, when we have differences, when we have preferences in our life that are different from one another, that are, that are neither commanded nor forbidden by God in the Scripture. But here's the point of this sermon that as a congregation, St. Luke's would come to be so deeply rooted in Christ Jesus that any small differences and preferences that we have can be accepted and appreciated, and the big differences when they occur can be explored and can be handled in a way that respects and honors one another. So throughout this practical section of Paul's letter, he has been telling us both the why and the how. So let's look at what Paul tells us about why this is so important and then how we can actually achieve it. All right, first of all, the why is it important that we learn how to embrace our differences and our preferences? Well, I think it's pretty simple to start with the most obvious and the most obvious is, is that there are going to be differences and preferences among us. Yes, we are fallen and sinful human beings, but we have all been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, and yet we will struggle with each other when things are different from the way we are used to, from the way that we like them. Over the years, my wife Lois, who is a high school math teacher, has been required to take numerous classes on how to interact with students who come from vastly different cultures and backgrounds. And I remember her coming home from one of those and telling me about the training session she had in her class where they, they divided the class into two groups and sent them to two separate rooms and then gave them 15 minutes to learn a group culture. Now that group culture were these odd little patterns of behavior and the way that they were supposed to interact with each other within their own group. Then, after 15 minutes, ambassadors were sent from one group to the other to observe and to report back on their observations then to the whole group when it reconvened. <laughs> what, was, what was fascinating about that little sociological experiment is that the ambassadors' observations were consistently negative and critical, pointing out how unfriendly and unwelcome they felt in the other group. People, that was after 15 minutes of group culture formation and practice. Now try to imagine what we all are like after a lifetime of being formed by and practicing our own unique differences. Look, the point is this, that when we are faced with something different, our fallen human nature will look for and find fault. Because it's hard, it's hard for us to experience what others do that is different from what we do or what we like to do and not be negative and critical. 
And so Paul says, don't quarrel over opinions. And interestingly, this, this, this Greek word translated opinions is never used elsewhere in the New Testament to refer to good thoughts, good ways of thinking about others. In other words, if we are left to ourselves, faced with these differences and these preferences other than our own, our thoughts, our opinions will lend themselves to quarreling. So why is it important that we welcome and embrace variety, the things that are neither commanded nor forbidden in Scripture, people? Because if we don't, we will inevitably and without conscious effort to the contrary wind up quarreling about them. But we're supposed to be a city set on a hill, a light shining in the darkness, beckoning people to come and to have their hearts awakened to the power of life in Christ, to make people so jealous of the peace and the harmony and the respect and the honor that we have shown to each other that they want the same. Look, the church in Rome to whom Paul wrote this letter was made up, we think, of small little house churches that were scattered all over the city. And first century Rome was a, was a cosmopolitan city with people from all over the empire. And it's possible and in fact likely that these groups had developed their own unique patterns and practices when they gathered. And that they did not regularly, people, if at all, interact with each other. Oh, but when they did, the sparks flew. And so Paul names just three little points of friction that he had heard about from this Roman church. First of all, food. Second of all, festivals. And in the verses right after our reading for today, the drinking of wine. The questions were these, did the followers of Jesus need to follow and observe all of the Old Testament rules about the clean and unclean foods? And, and some said yes, and others said no, no. When Jesus died on the cross, he fulfilled all of that ceremonial law once and for all. We're free to eat whatever we want. And then the question was, oh, but is it okay to eat meat that was purchased in the market after it had been sacrificed to a pagan god? Oh, and what about all of the Jewish festival days? You know, the Passover, Pentecost, the Feast of Tabernacles. Oh, and then there's wine. Well, the drinking of alcohol has always been a hot topic because, and this may be a surprise to some of you, but sometimes people drink too much of it. Look, if Paul were writing to us, where would he find us quarreling over opinions about things that are neither commanded nor forbidden in the Scripture? 
But I thought about that this week, and, and it seems to me that, that food could actually still be a divider among us, because someone will quote to me, Paul, to the church in Corinth, where he said, the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and since we now know scientifically that certain foods are very unhealthy, it wouldn't be hard to conclude that we should rigidly watch not only what we eat, but what everybody else eats, too. Now, surely the most visible and the ongoing quarrel among Christians is over our worship styles. Now, we're very blessed at St. Luke's to have facilities that accommodate multiple worship styles simultaneously so that I expect it's actually possible that you'd never have to talk to each other. Nevertheless, it is not uncommon for me to still hear little jabs and little barbs about one or the other that are oftentimes less than gracious and kind. Oh, how about this? What is the appropriate dress for worship? Any opinions out there on that? Oh, well, how should children behave in the worship service? Or what's the correct method of distribution for the Lord's Supper? Or you know what? Should we greet one another at the beginning of the service or in the middle or at the end? You know what? It turns out that the number of things that church people have found to quarrel about is almost limitless, and that quarreling, I think, has actually poured gas on the fire of the mass exodus from organized religion that we are watching today. Secondly, why is it important that we all seek to welcome one another in spite of our quarreling? And, and why is it so important that we seek to welcome one another in spite of our differences and in spite of our personal preferences? Well, the reason is, secondly, is that because our quarreling then leads to judging. Now, Jesus says flat out, judge not lest you be judged. Paul says it more than once in this text. Who are you to pass judgment? Why do you pass judgment on your brother? And if that's not enough, he reminds us that we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Now, this is very important. So we need to be careful that we take time to understand what kind of judging Jesus and Paul are talking about. Because Jesus also said, if you see your brother sin, go and show him his sin just between the two of you. And that's going to take judging. But that judging is a genuine love-driven judging that seeks to help a fellow follower of Jesus be the person that God created him to be and that Jesus died on the cross to restore. No, no, the judging that Jesus and Paul forbids is this kind of haughty, condescending, self-righteous judging. Paul clarifies it when he says, why do you despise your brother? This self-righteous judging is when we measure other people by the standard of our own preferences, and then we condemn those who prefer otherwise. 
Now, I need you to hold this in the narrow context that I'm talking about it in this sermon. I am only talking right now about judging one another about things that are neither commanded nor forbidden in Scripture. And even this little act of self-righteousness is a faith killer. And it is actually possible, people, to imagine that you have faith in Jesus when, in fact, you have become a judgmental despiser that needs Jesus less and less the more self-righteous you become until we actually stand before the judgment seat of God. And in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus terrifyingly says that there will be some who on that day will cry out, Lord, Lord, did we not preach and teach in your name and do all kinds of good works for you? And Jesus will declare, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Why? is welcoming one another in spite of our differences and our preferences so important. Because quarreling about such things leads to judging, which feeds our tendency to be self-righteous, which can kill our faith, and being faithless will not fare well in the final judgment. Now, I don't know about you, but I kind of like to avoid that. So how in the world, how can we welcome our differences and our preferences? Well, Paul's going to point us, of course, squarely at Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. He says it like this, For to this end Christ died and he lived again, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. Now what's he saying? Well, he's saying that Jesus is the Lord over all. And if I'm over here on one particular difference or preference and you're over there on a same difference or preference, but we both are, are focused on and working toward becoming and knowing Jesus better and better, then lo and behold, we're actually going to get closer to each other. Now, how are you going to engage in that process this week? I think you're going to have to start checking your attitude over and over and over again toward the differences, toward the preferences that are neither commanded nor forbidden in God's word. It's what's at the very heart of this problem, that we must examine our attitude. And as soon as I say that word, it makes me think of Philippians chapter 2 in the old NIV translation of the Bible. That verse said, have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. Now, back in the early days of my ministry... When I was trying to figure out who I was as a pastor, or really even if I wanted to still be a pastor, because my sister had just died at the age of 34 from cancer, and I was a little upset with God about that, I asked myself, how does something come to be an attitude? 
And it seemed to me, and it still does, of course, in a very simplistic way, that attitudes are what are formed by our repetitive experiences and thought processes that produce a sort of a groove or, or a pattern that gets worn into our brains, a rut in the road of how we think, you might say. So that now, every time I see or I hear or I experience something that forces me to think differently, to say the very least, I'm uncomfortable, then I get agitated and I will instinctively reject whatever it is. But if I set my mind on the things above, if I get out of my rut, if by the power of God's Holy Spirit working through my baptism, working through these words that I'm proclaiming to you this morning, working through the Lord's Supper that we're going to share in just a moment, working through the conversation that you have with fellow followers of Jesus, if my attitude become more and more like Jesus who didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but humbled himself and became obedient even unto death, death on a cross, people, then a world of opportunity opens before us. And all of that takes us right back to the beginning of this practical application section, which began at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, which started with these few words, in view of God's mercy. That is, in view of Jesus' suffering, death, and resurrection, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. Look, quarreling over things that are neither commanded nor forbidden and demanding your rights is the way of the world. And Paul clearly says, people, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, what is perfect. Now that testing is going to undoubtedly require us to get out of the ruts that we've carved into our brain. It's gonna mean that we're gonna have to be curious enough to talk with each other about our differences and about our preferences while focusing on our common bond, namely Jesus. And it will undoubtedly require that we mind our thoughts and even harder that we mind our tongues. <laughs> Look, sometimes we're surely going to have to just give up and stop and rethink our position while at the same time refusing to condemn those who think differently. I think that always, always, always we're going to need to curb our natural tendency to be negative and critical. If we're ever going to be a community of faithful followers of Jesus, able to exhibit for all of the world to see that we have been made right with God only through Jesus, and if we're going to be able to look forward with great joy and great anticipation for the day that we will stand before the judgment seat of God, then we have to do this. We have to set our mind on Jesus, on things above. Whenever I cover this final judgment teaching 
in the new members class. I like to use the illustration of watching a video up on a big screen like this that has recorded every thought, every word, and every action of my whole life for everybody to watch. And that seems really terrifying. Because there are things that I have thought and said and done that I would never want anyone to see. But the gospel, the good news about Jesus, people declares that through your faith in Jesus, all of those less than perfect moments in your life and in mine have been edited out of our video. And on the final day at the judgment scene, all that will be left are the good things that you have thought and said and done through your faith, includes even the smallest little act of kindness of giving a cup of cold water to someone. And then I like to conclude that video by observing that you remember the thief on the cross? His life video is going to be really, really short. Because he came to faith, he was forgiven, but he died before he had the opportunity to live out that faith. The Apostle Paul, on the other hand, video, I believe, is going to be a multi-season docudrama that we're going to have to sit through forever. Look, in Jesus, we will stand boldly and confidently before the judgment seat of God. We have been transformed again today by the power of his word through the meal that we're about to receive so that we can welcome one another, even with our differences and our preferences, to show the world the power of life in Christ. God grant it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, we've been offering up a weekly awakening question, and this is the one for this week to discuss. How can you pursue peace within your church community more actively? Will you talk about that together this week? How can you pursue peace within this church community more actively?